0: Thyself a man And I'll be there For I am When the troubles come And hard times Find your way Rise and take a stand I am with thee So you can I will calm the storms And shield thee With my hand are mine forevermore. I will love you and adore. All your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day. So stand and shew thyself a man. Shew thyself a man. Grow in grace as I demand Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your heart At work, at home, or play Just obey without delay Be a light that shines Help others find their way You are mindful I will love you and adore, All your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day. So stand and shew thyself a man. You are mine forevermore, I will love you and adore. For your sin is washed away By the blood I shed that day So stand and shew thyself a man So stand and shew thyself a man Stand and shew thyself a man
1: Let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight. Turn over the book of 1 Timothy. We're still in the book of 1 Timothy. It might be there in the year 2020. <laughs> I'm not sure at this rate, but we're doing pretty good. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to begin reading verse 1 and read through verse 5 today. <clears throat> The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Again, we have been dealing with Timothy and talking about him quite a bit. I wonder if you know anything or can remember anything about Timothy. You can help me out tonight. Give me something about Timothy that we talked about or that we've been sharing over the last decade. It hasn't been that long, but anyway, for quite a while. Yeah, go ahead, Brother Bill. Yes, he learned from his mother and grandmother. He had some real spiritual women in his life that made a tremendous impact. Yes, sir. Yes, his father uh, was a a Gentile and was not a believer. That's correct. And that's important to remember. So many times we want to make excuses as young people and somehow come up with an idea that, well, because my home life isn't perfect then there's no way I could possibly be a good Christian, and I can't help being messed up and living in the world and doing all of these wrong things. Well, Timothy had a dad that wasn't necessarily a believer. I obviously had a mom and a a grandma that loved him, and his daddy, I believe, loved him too. Uh, But the problem is he didn't believe the way he did. matter of fact, daddy probably uh, involved himself in a lot of immorality that uh, probably many of you wives probably wouldn't even stick around for today. And it was their culture. It was the way it was. And so there was a lot of things going on in those days. So it's possible he didn't set any example at all of righteousness or any kind of morality at all for his son. And so uh, yet, in spite of it all, he grew up to be a great man of God and a great preacher. Anybody else? It's good. Yes, sir. He was young and still required to start a new church, and he died. Well, he definitely uh, was, uh, was sent to Ephesus, and there he, as a pastor, being probably... Well, who knows how young he was? He could have been extremely young, and yet, as was mentioned, he came through with flying colors. Amen? He had the Lord, and he exercised his faith. Did, did you have something? Was that what you was going to say, too? That, that was the key right there. Okay. It's not about age. It's about faith. Absolutely. Again, uh, if we learn anything from uh, young Timothy, it's that God can use us at any age in our life if we'll yield ourselves to him wholeheartedly. Anybody else? Uh, yes. Absolutely. Correct. Paul treated him like his own son. And again, he calls him his son in the faith. And again, we are inclined to believe that he was an instrument or possibly the very one who led Timothy to Christ. But even if that's not the case, we know that he took him under his wing and treated him as his own son. And uh, I believe that uh, we could use a little more of that kind of mentoring. That's a wonderful thing he did. And Timothy obviously responded to it very well. Anybody else? Anybody else before I move on? Yes, go ahead. That, that you had taught that in Chapter 1 that that uh, was giving teaching for um, false teachers and that. Um, from Both outside but also inside the church. Yes, the... Um, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is trying to prepare Timothy for and deal with in the church is apostasy and false teaching. And unfortunately, he was walking into a real mess to some degree. Although we know that the church at Ephesus was an extremely a good church on one hand, but like any church, it has its obstacles and situations that need to be addressed. And so, uh, again, being young, in spite of being young, he stepped up to the plate and, and truly did fulfill his calling and purpose. And so, praise the Lord. And it was. That, that's a big thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that even tonight. That's, that's good. Anybody else real quick before we move along here? You're welcome. Yeah, the less, the more you talk, the less I, I do. Yeah. All right. Well, again, uh, we, we noticed a number of things. Ken, uh, we talked about last week uh, that at the end of Chapter 3 that... Um, we learned a, a number of things and we we kind of realized and recognized that um some of the the major truths that we uh, basically hang our, our our faith on and in first timothy 3:16, we talked about the 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 uh deity of christ and it focused on the the, the power of the holy ghost and his deity and the truth of one body in Christ, we see it alluded to there. And, and the fact that the world is to be reached and can be and the ascension and the return of the Lord. And so there were some real basic things, the deity of Christ. I mean, that, that was huge. And again, as we dealt with Gnosticism, as we looked at some of those things, they didn't believe that about Christ. And they had all kinds of crazy thoughts about who and what he was really about and who he really was. And uh, here we find now that the Apostle Paul addresses that portion of scripture in chapter 3, verse 16, because it, it appears that there is apostasy taking place. There is that element of, 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 of false teaching that has taken root there uh, in that church. And so as a result of that, he's saying, listen, we need to clean this up. We need to make sure we're not allowing it to, to grow or to fester or to ultimately uh, uh, become a real problem. And I do think that this is a, something that we uh, as uh, believers have to keep in mind as well, so many times if we're not careful we wait till problems are full-blown we wait till everything's just out of control whether it's a problem in our marriage or with our children or possibly uh, with our workplace or maybe even in our own lives and our own spiritual lives and and instead of addressing it and dealing with it as we, we we say this could become a problem and so instead of dealing with it like that we wait for it to become one and so many times we even drag our feet and wait till it becomes even a bigger problem And then we are frustrated and we feel hopeless and we don't know what to do or where to turn. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can become so discouraged and so depressed that we literally just give up. And I think it's important that we understand that, again, Timothy is being sent to a church, not because the church is so overrun with false teachers and problems that it's a last-ditch effort. No, the Apostle Paul is trying to salvage the church and keep it uh, afloat and keep it working well. He doesn't want it to get to the place, I should say, that you have to salvage it. He wants it to be in a position where it's still productive and still bearing fruit and that you weed out the problems instead of wait to just cut it all down and start fresh. You know, in basketball or in football, especially here in the Cleveland area, in football especially right now, we're, we're in that rebuilding stage again. And we're in that stage about every two or three years here. And... Uh, Uh, You know, we we were talking about weed everything out, get rid of it all, you know, just start fresh. Well, you know, in our lives, we can't, we don't get those restarts all the time. It's not easy to restart your life. You, You don't just come back from major immorality. You don't just come back from major sin in your life or neglect of God. You don't just come back real easy. Churches just don't spring back from major splits and Big problems in their church, and 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 again, it, it it takes time. It it really has an impact on the ministry. It has an impact on the people, and the future, and the community, and everything around. So it's important that we address issues before they become big problems, and we can just weed out things. And that's true in our own life. And I I want to encourage you to be careful and to do that in your life. You see your child slipping in an area. Don't wait till the child is totally out there. Deal with it while there's still hope. You know, I'm amazed how many people will come and then say, what do I do? And I think, man, you should have come a year ago. You waited till this, 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 and this is a problem. And honestly, if I tell you what I would do, I will destroy your whole world. It'll blow up everything in your life because you don't want to know what I'd do and how I'd handle it because I'd have never got there to begin with. So the way I would handle it would be different. Now, I've got to tell you how you need to handle it based on the fact that you permitted it not just to fester, but now be full-blown. You know, marriages, they come to you, and they're already wrecked. I mean, honestly, that's when people come to their pastor when their marriage is ruined, and they go, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> well, I don't know. You should have come to me a while ago because right now, <laughs> I don't even think i got two parties that are even in this yet any longer they're not even part of the, you say well i am yeah but what about him or her right. you, you, you can't make relationships work if only one of them's willing that's it. you can't make it work that's right. so it's, it's tough you know so anyway deal with it before it becomes a problem and i think we notice that with timothy that's what he's there oh there were some really uh, interesting characters in the church there and he had to deal with it as a matter of fact he even as the bible calls, he excommunicated he removed certain people from the ministry Can you imagine that? I mean, he had to uphold that even in some cases. I mean, that was a rough pill to swallow, and for a young guy, I mean, just to say, oh, by the way, the apostle Paul turned you over to Satan for the destruction of flesh, so guess what? I'm sorry. I can do nothing about that because, you know, you create your own bed, and I lay in it. You get right with God, then we'll talk. Dude, that'd be tough for a young preacher to tell some older gentleman, especially somebody that had a lot of influence in the church at one point but he did he held his ground he did he obeyed the lord and he uh, certainly uh, was successful in god's eyes we know that without a doubt now we now know that there's this i guess this underlying current of apostasy and last week we noted that Paul announced that apostasy, or the, the apostasy was announced. He, he made it clear. In 1 Timothy 4.1, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He announced it. He made it very clear. Guess what? There's some going to be issues. There's, there's going to be problems. In those latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now the apostle is going to analyze this. He's going to analyze this apostasy or those that are peddling the apostasy. And we're going to talk about that for just a few minutes today and we're going to look at it. Notice in verse 2, we'll just read the verses and then we'll pray quickly. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And so we see it announced in verse 1. Now we're going to see this all analyzed in these next couple verses. And so let's have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you, Father, for the investment of the people of God to be here tonight. And thank you, Father, for their input just a few moments ago what, what a great encouragement it is to me to hear the people of god share information and 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 truths from the word of god and father thank you for just the fact that they're listening they're hearing and they're taking it to heart now lord i pray that you'd bless us tonight that we'd be encouraged from your blessed book father be glorified and everything said and done you're so worthy of it in christ's name amen so, while he analyzes this end-time apostasy, he points out that the spread of this apostasy or the spread of these false, this false teaching is going to be made by people that lack character. And you say, well, what do you mean? How, how can you say that? Well, notice how he puts it here in the passage. He says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. In other words they're going to be liars. Isn't that what he's saying? Speaking lies and hypocrisy. So if, if I said to you, is a person that lies a man or woman of character, what would you say? Of course you'd say, no. You can't have character and lie. I believe that's one of the great fallacies in our culture today we believe that we can continue to dismiss any real morality decency and even ethical aspects of life and still feel that we are men and women of character i believe i believe people think people can be bold-faced liars and say i'm a man of character i'm a woman of character people can they really do they see themselves differently than they really are and we do that if we're not careful we perceive ourselves in the same way it's so much easier to see ourselves in the good light. We want to believe ourselves to be men and women of character, men and women of integrity, men and women of faithfulness and courage and commitment. And... But we're not always everything we believe ourselves to be, I'm fearful to say. And in this particular case, Paul the Apostle points out that the spread of this false teaching will be spread by people that lack character, those that speaking are speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now that word, or those words speaking lies, simply mean to speak false words. They're not true. And then the word translated hypocrisy conveys the idea of play acting, pretending. When we were children, we always pretended to be someone else or something else in so many cases. Whether it was a young child that's out in the basketball court pretending to be Michael Jordan or LeBron James or possibly someone else. I think mean, we play act, we pretend. When I was a kid, we used to do little tapes. That's when the, um, you know, those cassettes just came out. <laughs> that dates me a little bit, <laughs> but but uh, way back there in the, the dark ages. And uh, so when they first came out, we happened to get one of those little small cassette deck players. Now you can't even fathom it. You young people don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But they recorded things, okay? <laughs> And so you could hit a record, you know, the play button and record button together, and boy, I will tell you what, you could talk, and it would listen. And we used to we used to do these like shows, whether it was Bonanza or or uh, I remember uh, that show years and years ago, that thing called Jaws, where they that big shark would eat everybody up or something. And so we did this, we we play act and we get on there and start pretending to be the characters on this show, and we tape this whole thing. And boy, you know, we'd be. All that you know, all that stuff, and we're going crazy, and you know, you wonder why I could do all these stupid skits I do. But anyway, uh, so we do it. We play act, you know, and then then sometimes we'd pretend, you know, this way, and we'd actually not just with our voices, but with our bodies. And and you know what? That's that's exactly what is going on here. And and it's, and scary, This is scary in one sense because what what he's really saying is is that those that are going to peddle false teaching, you know, they're going to put on a good show. But nonetheless, it'll be lies anyway. And so Paul issues a very sharp indictment here. And one has to assume that it's because of that overwhelming, overwhelmingly serious nature of apostasy. I mean, he, he's very bold. He says, they're going to speak lies and hypocrisy. They're going to be play acting. They're going to they're be doing these things. And, and he's very forward with this. I believe the catastrophic damage that apostasy does. Produces in our churches and in our lives Our families and ultimately in our eternity and our futures Will not even be known this side of heaven I don't think we will ever understand How horrible and tragic false teaching is And how it has so sorely affected so many The I guess sad part of all this is that these so-called liars, these ones peddling these lies, these deceivers, they're not simply victims of a delusion. They're not just falsely, they're not just misunderstanding doctrine here. They didn't just get it mixed up any. I mean, they are very aware of what's going on. They deliberately act against the truth as it is revealed in Scripture. It's there. And they choose to disregard that truth. Paul says that the end times apostasy will be promoted and spread by people who are destitute or bankrupt of conscience as well. Notice he says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's an interesting phraseology, isn't it? Kind of like that. Now again, being young like I am, I don't know much about that. Honestly, that was even before my time. You know, you think about uh, searing things. Last time I checked, I've never had a wound or anything seared with a hot iron. Uh, You may have. I don't know. And maybe accidentally you did or maybe on a job site you had to in order you didn't bleed to death. But this particular passage says that this false teaching, this apostasy will be spread by people who have a conscience that's seared. Now, the word seared means burnt on the surface, cauterized, hardened. Burnt on the surface, cauterized, or hardened. Now, the word translated seared is a term that gives us our English word cauterized. So, when we use the word seared... Uh, here in the, uh, in the definition, uh, we're seeing here, that it's talking about that cauterization process. Now, again, like I said, years and years ago, they would cauterize wounds. And so I decided, I'm going to look up, a, I'm going to try to find out how it works. How would, if I had a wound today, how would I cauterize that wound? What would I do? How would it work? Well, how to cauterize. Here it is. It says, it's not that bad. Hold the metal... Until it's hot, you know, heat the metal, not hold it. <laughs> heat the metal until it's hot, but not so hot that it glows red or white. Place the metal on the wound, because it is easy to hold the metal to the wound for too long and thereby kill healthy tissue. comma, You'll want to cauterize in short, one to two second bursts. Tss, tss. You hear that? It, you get, hold on, let me do that again for you. It's not like this. Oh, I got, my, my arm's bleeding. Ah. Oh. Yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. No, it's not like that. It's like, watch. See that? That's how, that's how you cauterize a wound. Now, remember that next time. If you really need to. Say if you're in the wilderness. Some of you great white hunters around here. Now, Isn't that interesting to you? I think that's interesting. I I think it's interesting. If you want to to most effectively cauterize a wound, then you need to do it in short bursts. Now, we're told that Satan will sear the conscience of those apostates, that he'll sear their, their consciences. And, you know, it seems to me that if that's the case, then it must be a process. It doesn't just happen overnight then. So they don't immediately one day wake up as an apostate. They don't just wake up one day bearing false teaching and have their whole bag full of false teaching. It's not how it works. It seems to me that their conscience is seared, their their outlook is changed over a period of time, short bursts. See the problem is is that we permit ourselves to be influenced by apostasy first. We're influenced by it. We allow ourselves to be around it. Now you have got to realize what we're saying here now, and because sometimes people think, well, you know, what are you saying in this church? No, I'm not talking about that. Maybe, maybe what you get in your Sunday school class is not apostasy. What you're getting at church is not apostasy. That's possible. Although you need to know your Bible well enough to know if it is. But but the fact is, is that everywhere we go, there is a battle taking place. Everywhere we go, there, there's a warfare that we're engaged in. Do you realize that everywhere you go, Satan and his demons are at work to try to trip you up? They want to clutter your mind with something that is not truth. They want to ultimately redirect your... Attention, somewhere other than Christ. They want to infiltrate your heart and affect you negatively. Now, if we're not careful, we allow or permit ourselves to be influenced by apostasy. That's how it all starts. See, it's, it's that sudden burst. It says, little psst, psst, psst. Secondly, we become infected by apostasy, so it begins to influence us, but then ultimately begins to infect us. Now, I don't know about you, but have you if you've ever had an infection, there's nothing pleasant about that. You know um, you get a an infection in your foot or in your hand or your arm, and what do they tell you, keep an eye on that to see if there's no, make sure there's no red line going up your arm or up your leg that infection starts to travel, it'll be a problem. It can really wreak havoc in your body. May I say that when we allow apostasy to influence us, it will ultimately infect us. And just like any infection, if we permit it to continue, we'll permit ourselves to be injured by apostasy. And and in this case, he says that their conscience is seared. So what he's saying again is that conscience has this hardened surface now, this impenetrable surface, so that it cannot be penetrated by the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that a terrible place to be? To have your conscience seared as though with a hot iron, To where there's, in a sense, a scab over top of your conscience in enabling you to hear or receive that which is from the Holy Spirit of God. These false teachers have gotten to the place where they cannot hear God's voice anymore. The only voice they really hear is theirs or Satan's. They are propagating and promoting false doctrine. They are not susceptible to the Holy Spirit of God at this point because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron and it's been seared over time. And before we point fingers and talk about how horrible they are and how, how unbelievable they can possibly be. This is just ridiculous. I can't even believe these men, these women. We are susceptible to this. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Do you know, according to the Scriptures, all of this begins with a departure from the faith. God helps to be very adamant about the faith. To be careful to to, to, to remain close to and to be informed about the faith. Paul goes on to mention two more marks of demon-inspired apostasy here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he goes on to say, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Those are the two. Now again, according to the passage, apostasy is marked by an attack on marriage and an attack on eating of meat. Isn't that interesting? I find that interesting. Yes, now, Gnosticism you know, plagued the early church, and we talked about that weeks ago, but these two prohibitions were part of its teachings. The Gnostics bought into this mess. As a matter of fact, Gnosticism would attack the relationship between husband and wife you know, you had to be careful because uh, it kind of asceticism was something that was kind of elevated, just like it is in many other Eastern religions where you, you, uh, you know, hurt yourself and you deny yourself to the point where that's the only way you can really become holy, the only way you can really grow close to God and be truly spiritual. Well, you know, there is some truth to that. We understand that we have what's called fasting but they take it to another level indeed now Paul he's going to address these issues because he knows it's a problem or a potential problem in the church and at first glance we may be tempted to look at the Catholic church and kind of end it right there and say well Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Obviously, that's the Catholic Church. But that, I don't believe, is the emphasis here, obviously. At this point, there was no Catholic Church. That's right. When he writes this, it wasn't even in existence. What we're going to find is, as though although Catholicism is cluttered with a number of additional teachings outside of the New Testament, and although tradition is often given more weight than the Scriptures themselves, you will find that Catholicism does hold to the articles of faith that were mentioned in 1 Timothy 3.16. You say, what's that? Well, basically that Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh, that he died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. A Catholic believes that? I mean, the Catholics I know did. So we've got to be careful that we don't just dismiss this now glimly just you know glimly just saying well whatever it is that's what it is and so it doesn't apply to us it doesn't apply to us you know me and blah, blah. it does it applies to us because what we find then is that there's going to be other elements involved here it's not going to be something we can necessarily put our finger on today it's not something we can actually just identify and put a little sign above it and say that's the danger no in 1 Timothy 4.3, says, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, and th- which believe and know the truth. In forbidding of marriage here, the word forbidding is a strong word. Can you imagine that? Forbidding. I forbid you. Well, you know, when you're, your children were younger, you know, I don't know, I never really talked like that. I didn't say forbid. I just said no. Because that forbids a long word. So anyway, but, but forbidding, you know what I mean? I mean that's a word. Like, I forbid you to go to your friend's house. And you know what? That's pretty strong language. I mean, that's pretty clear language too, isn't it? But that strong language, that word forbidding, underlines the authority that the apostate teacher assumes then. That apostate teacher believes they have the authority to forbid you to do things. Not just going to teach it. They're going to forbid it. Isn't that interesting? You know, I'm amazed sometimes. You know how it is with believers. We, we consider God. We look at God and we, we somehow get an attitude. God doesn't let me do nothing. I can't do anything. It's Christians, it's so boring. We're forbid to go here and do this and do that. God doesn't say that. God says, you got a mind. I'd kind of like to see you serve me because you love me. I'd like to see you stay separated because you love me. I'd like to think that because of everything I've done for you, I loved you first, you'd love me in return, and you'd show that by the way you live and act. Amen. But may I tell you what? God is not the harsh taskmaster. Master. Satan is. And the, you know where the false teacher gets their authority, don't you? Not from God. From Satan and his demons. And they're the ones that are going to forbid you and tell you what you can and can't do. I'll tell you what, if you go overseas right now into certain countries and you see how certain faiths and religions handle and deal with their people, you'd be amazed at how they put them through such suffering and turmoil and heartache in order to prove their faithfulness and their loyalty and devotion to God. Now, we serve a God that is very much a gentleman. A loving father. Forbidding to marry. Paul expresses his desire that others be like him. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. He says, I say, therefore, to to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I... But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. See, Paul doesn't demand it, though. He doesn't forbid you to marry. He, he says, listen, it would be wonderful if you could continue to control your desires. And it would be wonderful if you could focus your whole attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you could overcome those desires and needs... And God would give you grace in that area to be like me and to focus your attention on the service of the king. However, if you can't do that, if you're unable because those desires are so strong, then marry. But that's not what these false teachers are teaching now. They're forbidding some things. The second attack is commanding to abstain from meats, he says. When we use the term meat today, we use the term having to do with basically animal flesh for the most part. You know, I'm going to eat me a big piece of meat. I'm, I'm going to give me a huge steak, thick one. And I still can hear John Wayne saying, burn me a thick one, Pete. I can, I can still hear him saying that. And, and, and who shot Liberty Valance? Burn me a thick one, Pete. I like that, you know, and I want a thick one. Those things, you ever see those movies? They're like that big. Of course, Liberty trips Jimmy Stewart and knocks his steak off the plate, and it's on. Finally, John's like, get out of the way, Pilgrim. That was my steak, Liberty. And then, well, I don't want to go through the whole story, but anyway... That was a piece of meat. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about now. Again, in the Greek, the Greek word used here is, refers to the word the food in general as a whole. When you you read in the Bible the word meat, a lot of times it has to do with anything you would eat. But in this passage, it does appear that it's emphasizing or focusing primarily on actual meat, though. So what it seems like, just like we talk about meat that was offered to idols, we understand what that means. That we we understood it was actual sacrifices made and the meat was burned and offered to idols and now it's being eaten, we understand. And so it appears that this meat has to do with actual meat as we understand it. Now, spiritists, those people that are involved in the occult, believe that eating meat inhibits the development of power to um, convey messages from the dead. They believe that meat kind of keeps someone like that from having real spiritual power and access to the underworld. And it's interesting to note that up till the flood, God resisted or restricted people to a vegetarian diet. You know, early on, that's all they ate. You know, although there were animals, they did not eat animals. They ate a vegetarian diet. Adam, he was given dominion over the the fowl of the air, fish of the sea, and all of that. Every living thing, the Bible says. But his diet was restricted to fruit and vegetables. In Genesis 1, 29, and God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in which which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you shall it be uh, for meat. After the fall, now, we find that certain animals were used for sacrifice. But even with that said, there was no provision made for them to eat flesh. They still were vegetarian. Now, all the way up to the flood, you have a society of vegetarians. We're not eating meat. To our knowledge, there's no meat being eaten. And then after the flood, man's diet was suddenly and drastically changed. In Genesis 9, 3, the Bible says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. Now, you was eating the green herb. You were eating the fruit of the trees. Now, every living thing, all things can be eaten. Amen. Now, again, here's the thing. This, This change in diet... Possibly was prompted by the fact that before the flood, there was an explosion of demonic and occultic activity. Remember there were giants in the land then? That was a direct result of demonic activity, folks. A direct result. And so it's possible that now, all of a sudden, after the flood, God permits mankind to eat meat because mankind ended up Focusing their attention in the wrong direction here And there's something to this vegetarian diet That lends itself to the occult Someone says, you're out of your mind Really? It's funny If you'll look at the occult And let me just define what the occult is here Supernatural, mystical, magical beliefs Practices or phenomena Synonyms I looked up the synonyms of this word uh, occult It says The supernatural, the paranormal, supernaturalism, magic, black magic, witchcraft, sorcery, necromancy, wizardry, the uh, black arts, occultism, you're not supposed to use the same word, but that's a synonym. Anyway, diabolism, diabolism, devil worship, devilry, voodoo, hoodoo, (laughs) you do, no, but anyway, (laughs) white magic, witchery, mysticism. Now, again, notice... All of those things. Those are things that we understand are problems. Those kind of practices, such as witchcraft, necromancy, those were capital offenses under the Mosaic Law. When I say capital, I mean you died for performing them, doing those. He says in Exodus twenty-two eighteen, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. In Deuteronomy 18.10, in the Old Testament, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people around here that better be glad it's not the Old Testament in America. You know what I'm saying? It's not Old Testament. When they start talk, calling us legalists, we ought to say, you know what, you're lucky that we're not in that Old Testament Obviously, we're not practicing. We're not legalists like you think because we're not practicing that Old Testament. And that's what a legalist is when they're adding something to salvation, but we'll not not go into that right now. The Bible exposes a number of times in history when this, this, I guess, demonic activity was rampant. One, the first was an unprecedented outbreak of Satanism in the days of Noah. We know that. We see it evidenced in chapter 6. Then the second one was in the land of Canaan just before the Hebrew conquest. You know, again, there were a number of giants in the land. Remember that? Isn't that interesting? You've got to believe again that there's something kind of unique about what took place in Genesis 6 and what's taking place before they go into the land and they're facing all these giants again. Why is that? Because you had pagan nations worshiping other gods and you had demonic activity taking place and as a result you had giants in the land. I don't want to go into all the details there. The third outbreak occurred during the public ministry of Christ. Remember how many times it talks about Jesus Christ casting out demons and Jesus Christ dealing with devils? Because it was rampant. By the way, do you realize that when Jesus Christ returns, it'll be as in the days of Noah? Yes, sir. So what was he saying? He's saying that occultism, dem- dem- uh, d- demonic activity is going to continue to increase as we draw closer to the return of Christ, then. Now, you say, what's that have to do with your diet? (laughs) Well, one of the prohibitions against... If you look at Eastern religion and you look at the occult, and I don't really suggest you do it, you will find that that kind of diet is emphasized if someone truly wants to experience the closest reunion or fellowship with the spirits. It's, it's par for the course. If you look at New Age doctrine, the stuff called New Age stuff, it's just the occult. They emphasize the lack of meat and diet because it, is, it helps with the spiritual side. In, in a negative way, obviously. I'm just telling you that Paul the Apostle says, Listen, you don't have to worry about... You, you can eat anything you want. Go ahead and eat it. The only thing I'm telling you you have to do, he says, is you have to accompany it by thanking God for His goodness and provision. Amen. Amen. Outside of that, you're good to go. As a matter of fact, like I said, as a matter of fact, it seems and it does... If you know anything about the occult we 're moving in that direction now i'm really i 'm concerned a little bit about all that mess i I have a real problem when people emphasize things like animals above babies, the environment above the well being of people, and we start to emphasize the fact that it 's wrong to eat this and you can 't eat that and you can 't eat this. And you have to, and this is the kind of diet you need. This is the way you'll really only be healthy. And you know what? You watch people, and I'm not saying this with everybody, but there's a lot of times I see this. It don't, health becomes a god to people. You've got to be real careful with that. I think you need to stay healthy. But be careful you don't get so consumed with it that you forget to emphasize. Wouldn't it be terrible to every morning get up and run 10 miles but not read your Bible? Wouldn't it be terrible to, to make sure your calorie count is exactly right? But you haven't counted the blessings of God yet. I'm just saying, be careful that you don't lose sight of what's going on here. Now, anyway, apostasy. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. But I want to encourage you to be very careful and to keep your eyes open. Learn your Bible and know the Word of God. Because apostasy is all around us. It's at the malls. It's at work. Unfortunately, at times, it's even in our own homes. It's definitely coming through the television set, on the radio, in our music if we're not careful. I'm telling you, just be so careful. The movies we watch, the shows that are being created, be careful. It's everywhere around us. So be so careful, believer. Father, we come to you. Thank you again, Lord.